In this sermon series, we're studying the wisdom psalms. These lyrical lessons to live by proclaim practical understanding for our daily lives while pointing us to Jesus, the very embodiment of all wisdom. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Okay, uh, we are going to jump in to this. Uh, we are continuing a sermon series uh, in the book of Psalms. Uh, we've chosen the wisdom Psalms to go from, and again, I said last week that there, are, there is, uh, you know, different people list different Psalms in this category, uh, but we've chosen our list. I don't even know whose list it was, but we've chosen the, our list of wisdom Psalms and we're, and we're going through that together. Stranger Things, the, the TV show. Maybe you're familiar, maybe you're not. Maybe you're into it, maybe you're not. I think there's a generation of people maybe related to it more than, than others, but uh, my wife and I love the show. They just released a trailer for season four, a uh, teaser trailer, so we're excited to see that come. But regardless of whether you've seen it or not, I'm going to describe one part of the show that will help relate to this sermon today. In the show Stranger Things, there's this thing called the Upside Down. It's an alternative reality uh, where when you go there, everything like structurally still exists there. Like the buildings are still there, the, the woods is still there, the, the, some of the people are still there, but it's a darker place. It's filled with darkness and things that make you jump in the night. It's not a good place at all. And in the show, the upside down is always trying to push its way into the right side up. Even in the show, like the cinematography trick that they do is, is when someone kind of enters into the realm of the upside down, this alternative reality, the camera actually flips over. It kind of does this, this cinematographic you know, clue that you're going into the upside down. Our world is not much different, if we're honest. There's an alternative reality that entered into this world in the Garden of Eden, right? God had designed the world to function in a very specific way, perfect, everything. But with the sin of Adam and Eve, we were plunged into the upside down. That's actually where we exist is in the upside down. That's why the vast majority of us as humans sometimes look around us, maybe others more so than, than some, but we look around us and we have that feeling inside of us, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Especially in times of pain or suffering or sorrow, this is not the way things are supposed to be. We hear that whisper in our hearts because we're longing for things to be put back right side up. For there to be justice and freedom and comfort and all those things. But another thing happens, another phenomenon. If we're honest, and, and I'm going to be honest today, some of us, myself included, start to grow used to the upside-down way that the world is. We actually start to find it comfortable. We actually start to find it what we're used to. We begin to embrace certain parts of this uh, this alternative reality, but Psalm 36 today is going gonna, is gonna to speak to us in that. It's going to describe the alternative reality that many of us are susceptible to, and then it's going to describe to us the absolute reality of God's ways. 
of God's plans, of God's presence, made manifest through Jesus. And what we'll see today is this. There's only one absolute reality, truth. And although our flesh might clamor for an alternative one at times, we long maybe for the things of this world more than we long for the things of this book. The truth is that our souls were built for the actual one, for the absolute reality of God's promises and God's presence, God's ways. Psalm 36, we see the battle that still rages in human hearts between believing that lie from the Garden of Eden, that alternative reality that was offered up by the serpent when he said, you can be like God's. You can control this world. You can, you can decide what this world should be for you instead of God. The battle between that and the, the absolute reality that's made explicit in the word of God and through the, the, the life of Jesus. And what the psalmist is going to push us towards understanding is that our day-to-day lives, literally our moment-by-moment lives, is, is impacted by which reality we choose to engage as truth. When we believe the lie from the Garden of Eden, it changes our lives. We behave in certain ways. When we believe the Word of God and the promises that are ours in Jesus, we behave in a different way. And in that, he, he reminds us that there's only one absolute reality and that it, it changes us when we engage it. Let's pray. What we know not, Father, please teach us. Uh, What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. A little lesson about the Psalms. Most of you may know this already. Uh, They often, not all of them, but they'll begin with this kind of uh, what is often called a superscription. That's actually from the original uh, manuscripts. Right? And I'm not talking about those little headers that you'll see. Like mine for this passage says how precious is your steadfast love, and it's kind of written, it's italicized. You know, depending on which Bible you have, you may see some of those. Those are not part of the original text. Somebody put those in there to kind of give you a signal for what's coming. But in the Psalms, you'll see these things that say something similar to that, to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Those are part of the original uh, text as it was written. And so they do have information for us. We're not going to spend our time there, but we get our author there, David, And we know that he wrote close to, if not more than half of the Psalms. We know that he became the second king of Israel. Before that, he was a shepherd. But he refers to himself, although he will be a king, as the servant of the Lord. And I think that's a good way to identify yourself. No matter how elite, no matter how far you progress, he knows his place. King of kings is his king, regardless of the fact that he's the king of Israel. And we also hear about the choir master, right? That's Josh Early for us. He's the choir master here at Mercy Village Church. So uh, we'll, if you want to start referring to him as the choir master. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Facebook. Yeah, well, you should. <laughs> but yeah, there was, he was the, there was a worship leader. Here's the, the first four verses. The first four verses point us to an alternative reality, and it starts like this. David says, transgression speaks... To the wicked deep in his heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. We looked, oh, maybe six, even eight weeks ago, we looked at our core values as a church. And in one of those sermons, we went to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where 
the Hebrew word for this prayer is the Shema. You've heard it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That word heart in there is an interesting word, and it's the same root word that's used here for heart. It has to do not with the physical organ or even just with the mind. It has to do with the very epicenter of who we are, the soul. But just even more than that, all that we think and feel and and do and desire, it's intellectual, it's emotional, it's rational at times, and it's irrational at others. It's the core, it's the epicenter of who we are. So David says that the wicked, right, and he's not talking about people who mess up every now and then, or we'd all be wicked, right, because we've all, we've all messed up, probably this morning, if you're like me, you've already done it, you're already kind of messed some things up, and I, and I have. But for those who have set their life on themselves in a very uh, consistent, daily, regular way, it's a mark of their life that they have set themselves up as the one who's in charge of their own destiny instead of submitting to the word of God. That's who he's referring to when he talks about the wicked. And he says the transgression, this desire to rebel against authority, it actually speaks to them in the very depth of the epicenter of of who they are. What resounds to them, right, when they think, oh, that sounds good, when they think, oh, I like the sound of that, are things that are rebellious against the authority of God. Things that push back against his rules and his desires. And as we'll see, it's actually pushing back against the absolute reality of this life. God's ways, God's presence. So for the person who is set on self, who's set on his ways, set on her ways, a desire for self speaks to them deep in their core. And absence of the fear of the Lord, they have a break from reality. David continues. He says there's a result for those who engage this alternative reality, who engage this lie that that self is the most important, not God's self. Those who believe that lie, those who begin to walk in that way, something happens. Verse 2 For he flatters himself in his own eyes, and his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Just got a bunch of TV show references today. Uh, There's another generation, the smartest generation, I would say, who loves Seinfeld, the show. The idea of this verse reminds me of an episode of Seinfeld where Jerry Seinfeld, for some reason I can't remember, has to beat a lie detector test. Or he has to take a lie detector test. It probably has to do with one of his girlfriends. Maybe, I don't know. And George Costanza is known for beating lie detector tests. That's his thing. He can beat them. And so Jerry's in the restaurant. He's talking to him. Hey, you know, what's, uh, what tips do you have for me so I can beat this lie detector, detector test? And George Costanza's like, that's ask, like asking Rembrandt to tell you how he paints. I mean, I'm just, you know, he's like self-aggrandizing. But as he leaves the restaurant... One of them does. George and Jerry have this exchange where where George looks at Jerry and he says, Remember, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. (laughs) Remember, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. If in your heart you believe what you're saying, then when you put that lie detector test on, uh, your body's not going to respond to it. It's going to say you're telling the truth. And that's the point of this passage is that this person who flatters himself has convinced himself of the lie. But he now believes that the lie is true. There's two stages to it. The first is 
He believes he won't be found out. He believes that no one can see what he's doing. He believes that it won't be that big of a deal. But it gets even worse, right? He believes that it can't be hated. He eventually, right? Like, and, and I've been there. Where you're doing something wrong, and at first you're like, nobody will notice, nobody will see it. But if you keep walking in it, eventually you get to the place where you can start talking yourself into thinking that what you're doing is actually the right thing. Well, it's really not that bad. Good things are going to come out of this. If people knew what I was going through, they wouldn't be upset about this, and they, you can talk your way in. The, the actual idea is the smoothing over of the conscience. We've been beginning to convince ourselves that the way that we're walking in, although it is wrong, is actually right. I know a guy in, in ministry, and years ago he confessed that when he traveled on the church's dime, he'd, he'd splurge. When he'd be on these trips, he would, right? Like normally he might get a, a grande black coffee, but when he's traveling on the church's dime, he gets the venti, like four shots of espresso, like big time, you know, latte or whatever. Two dollars more, but it's not his money. When he'd be at a restaurant, right, he normally would maybe order the chicken, but now he's going to order the, the sirloin. Get extra snacks at the gas station, get extra food on the plane, and it nagged at him, right, that this wasn't right. But at first, he said, nobody's going to see it, right? Like, I'm, I'm away, I'm on my own, nobody's going to notice, and then eventually he started to justify it. I don't get paid enough anyway. This is a special treat for me. I'm only traveling because it's on, on business. And that person was me. I'm the one. Be honest with you. With a hope that you will be honest with yourself today. That we can be these types of people so easily. So simply we can fall into walking in certain ways that we know are out of step with the word of God. And eventually we talk ourselves into to believing that it's, that it's the right thing. We'll explain away our sin. And we have to be aware of this because there is no wisdom in this alternative reality. That's what verse 3 is going to show us. But I want to be explicit here. The lie of the Garden of Eden is this. You don't need the true God. You can be the God of your own life. That's basically what the serpent told Adam and Eve. And hear me today. We can easily read verses 1 and 2 and just think it's about the vilest sinners. It is not about us. But we need to have the courage today, the good sense today, to see ourselves in verses 1 and 2. Or we really won't experience any change. You see, it's not just about ISIS or the drug cartel or, or sex traffickers. It's about anyone who even bends the rules of God just in the slightest bit as a way of life because they think they know better. And I've been there. Anyone who's even the tiniest bit apathetic towards the ways of God in their day-to-day -day life, that's, that's me too. So we have to be honest today because what verse 3 tells us is that the words of his mouth are, troubled in, uh, are trouble and deceit and he has ceased to act wisely and do good. Have you ever heard someone, or maybe you've heard yourself, I'm the one, actually beginning to talk about their own sin? I did this a lot. Uh, a lot of us did this a lot in college. 
We talk about our own sin as if it's hilarious, as if it's funny, as if it's just nothing but good times and fun. I've been there. Maybe you've been there. David says when we get to that place, wisdom's gone. It's not with us anymore. When we get to the place where not only we're excusing away our sins, but we're delighting in them, we're... we're, uh, were happy or even just uh, apathetic towards them. Wisdom. Wisdom is gone. But not only is wisdom gone, love is gone. Verse 4. He says he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. When the alternative reality, the lie of the garden, becomes embraced as the actual reality, it becomes a way of life. Notice this guy in verse 4. The last thing he thinks about before he goes to bed, the first thing he thinks about in the morning is how he can put himself in charge, how he can scheme his own self into being in charge of his own life. And if you do that, the schedule in your daytimer will begin to reflect it. Your checkbook will begin to reflect it. Your calendar will begin to reflect that you believe this alternative reality. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life, Proverbs 4, 23. I'm about to stop dropping the hammer, I promise. It's like, man, he's mean today. Okay, we're almost there. We're going to turn a hinge here in just a second. We're going to see God burst into the scene with grace and mercy and power to transform our lives. But, but we have to feel the weight of this today, Paul did. Romans 7, verses 18 through 20. He said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. He's not saying that there's nothing good in him. He has the Holy Spirit in him. He has Christ living in him, but in his flesh. There's nothing good. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. What he's describing is this age-old battle within the child of God. Until glory, one day in heaven, will be made perfect. We'll no longer struggle with our desires for things that are outside of what God has called us to, but until then, we do. There's a war within us. Paul knew it, and we have to be honest about it and open about it with ourselves or we'll never see victory. For the child of God, though, it need not always be this way. David opens up kind of a portal into the absolute reality. He says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the mountains of God, your judgments are like the great deep, Man and beast you save. The portal, right, from this alternative reality into this absolute reality is the God of absolute reality. It's his steadfast love, his refuge, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his judgment and justice, his salvation. And all of those things that are listed in that verse are to the maximum level. To the deepest depth and the highest high, he is all of those things. The highest level of love and faithfulness and righteousness. All of those things. This, the character of God, is an absolute reality. 
right? No matter what we believe, no matter what I believe, no matter what you believe about God, doesn't change God. It doesn't matter what reality you choose to engage is true. God is unchanged by it. He stands full to the maximum capacity in all of those things. It can't be changed. And so David says, when we engage that reality, our lives begin to change. When we live, you know, he just described the alternative reality, and he said when we live as if that's true, we act this way. Now he says if we act as if what God says about himself is true, what God promises us is true, if the ways of God are true, then we'll live in this way. First is worship. How precious is your steadfast love, O God? We see David worship God for who he is. And then he says the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And he's going to tick off all these things that the children of God do when they engage the absolute reality of his promises and his presence and his ways. The first is the absolute reality of refuge. So the question for the child of God is, is where do you turn in your times of fear? Where do you turn when you're struggling? We talked about refugees a lot in our culture. We even talked about them specifically with this 5K that we're supporting. There are people fleeing across the border for their very lives. They're seeking shelter. They're seeking Safety, And we all have times in our lives where we are seeking shelter when life gets chaotic or unpredictable. When the blows of life keep coming and we're scared to keep going. When we're angry about the situations around us in our life, I could go on. We, we need to take refuge. And the children of God, further, they feast on the abundance of your house and, they give you, and you give to them drink. From the river of your delights, this is the absolute reality of abundant feasting and thirst-quenching delight. Are you starving for something? Hungry for something, right? Your career hasn't filled you up. Money hasn't filled you up. Uh, Family hasn't filled you up. You're still hungry. Are you parched? You've been working and churning and slugging your way through life and you're exhausted. You're parched. Your mouth is dry. If you're hungry, feast. If you're thirsty, feast in the presence of the Lord. This is what David says in verse 9. For you, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Two things here. First, I love that line, in your light do we see light. The, the meaning of that is this, that God is the light that illuminates all other things. Even other light sources are revealed and, and we, we gain understanding of, of what they are and what they're intended to be through the ultimate light, light source, God, the light of the world. So he makes sense, helps us make sense of everything in this world. He helps us make sense of suffering. He helps us make sense of celebrating. He helps us make sense of pain. He helps us make sense of joy and on and on the list But not only that, he says, with you is the fountain of life. There's another place in the Psalms where the psalmist will say, all my fountains are in you. What he means is the wellspring of everything that I long for. The wellspring of everything that I feel empty uh, 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 and unsatisfied about is in you, God. You are all of those things. And he says this is the absolute reality. So we're left with a choice with which one will engage. I printed out all these half sheets of paper. I, I was preparing this sermon, and 
I was listening to a book on Audible by N.T. Wright. I'm not going to read it to you guys. It's way too long. It just felt, fits so perfectly with what I was thinking on and what I was feeling when it came to this sermon that I wasted all my ink on you guys and printed them out. And you can, uh, you can take that and read it later. But he makes this point through this parable that he writes in there, N.T. Wright does, of how we tend to, and he describes it like putting concrete over a spring of water, we tend, right, to kind of push away from this absolute reality that whispers to us, this is not the way things are supposed to be, and we tend to numb ourselves away from longing for the things of God and the ways of God and the promises of God. And he makes the point way better than I can or, or will in this sermon, and so I'd encourage you to encourage you to read that. Psalm 36 has shown us that the alternative, alternative reality will hold out bad things as good and good things as God's. And that we'll be so easily sucked into that. We'll begin to explain away bad things as if they're good for us. And we'll look at good things like family and relationships and we'll start to make gods out of them. We'll, we'll make them the center of our lives instead of God's ways and God's, and God's steps. But as children of God, the absolute reality of God's ways God's promises. God's promises. What's for us? So David prays. Again, he prays because he knows, right, that left... Sometimes we sing that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. David's being honest. He says, I need to pray about this because I'm, my heart's going to wander away. My heart's going to slip away. I'm going to start believing in the alternative reality that was sold as, a, as truth in the garden but isn't truth. So he prays, oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Then he prays this, let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. He says, not only do I want to see the people of God have in them a remembrance of your promises, a remembrance of the, the truth of the word of God so that they can keep on walking in righteousness even when they don't feel like it. Keep making right decisions even when uh, they're tired or worn down. He says, I also want to see the wicked not succeed. So he prays for them. And then he closes out looking forward with hope. What he prays for is something that we don't see as often as we'd like to. But one day we will. He prays and says, there the evil evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down unable to rise. He looks forward to a day, right, if you have these two realities. One puts self at the center. It's the lie from the Garden of Eden. Those who embrace that with their lives, they may succeed now. They may prosper now. They may find uh, happiness and joy in this life. But one day, that's the end for them. Verse 12. Those who choose to believe the reality of Scripture, the truth about God, the promises of God, the ways of God, they'll be the ones who have victory in life forever. And so we're left with a question as we close. Which reality will we choose to walk in? Last week it was roads. That was the illustration that David used in Psalm 1. It was roads. This is realities. But which one will we choose? 
Jesus shows us the way. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He rejected the alternative reality. He rejected the lie. He actually explicitly rejects it when he stands toe-to-toe with Satan. And Satan says, bow down to me. You know, these world, this world will be yours. Just turn these stones into bread. If you remember that scene, and he rejects it. He says, no, I will not walk in that reality. But instead, he embraces The reality of God's promises and God's ways, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, right? Even though in his life he suffered, in his life he was beaten and whipped and scorned, he didn't give in, right, to the lie. He believed the truth of God, of the promise, the joy that was set before him, and he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. He set the example of what it looks like to reject the ways of the world and embrace the ways of God. And he embraced it with such passion that he went to the cross and died in our place. So that now that love that God talks about through David and Psalm 36 here in his love, Jesus is the example. That refuge, nothing can separate us from God because of Jesus, that feasting, he's the bread of life. Our thirst is quenched by him, the living water. And the light that we need is in him because he is the light of the world. Everything we desire truly is fulfilled in Jesus Christ because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That, he might, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds we are healed. And so as we wrap this up, Two people in this room, possibly. Children of God and those who are not Christians. If you're not a Christian, trust the finished work of Jesus on the cross today. It is impossible for you to walk in the paths of uh, of God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot walk in the absolute reality of, of who God is and what God calls us to apart from Jesus Christ. Trust in Him faith and child of God might we live might we engage in these truths like honestly I so relate to the apostle Paul in my life there's days when I just don't do the things that I know I should do I'll blow up on my wife I'll chew out my kids, I'll choose to waste time in one way or the other, and I'm just like, who? this is not who I'm supposed to be. This is not the person I want to be. This is not who God is calling me to be. And in those moments, I realize it's because I'm living out of step with the truth of the absolute reality of who God is and what he's promised. And we embrace that. You see, last week we talked about how when we blow it, the righteousness of Jesus is there to catch us when we fall as children of God. We can rest in the forgiveness that is ours, and there's truth in that. 100% truth in that. That hasn't changed. That will always be true, but it's not licensed for us to just live however we want. It's not licensed for us to just do the things we want to do, to live as if the alternative reality is true when it suits us and live as if the absolute reality is true when it suits us instead we're called to follow in his steps 
For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Absolute reality of God's promises and God's ways demands that we follow him. So, live in that reality. Live in the reality of his love and and refuge. Ask yourself this week where you turn when you're hurting. Ask yourself where you turn when you're scared. Ask yourself where you turn for refuge. Do you turn towards self-care or or a person or a place or a mood or maybe towards self-harm in those moments, right? You're going to turn to something other than than the ways of God and, and who God is. When I was a kid and I'd lose something, I'd be like scrambling around the house looking for it. And my mom would always be like, have you found it yet? Where's your, where's your whatever? And I'm frustrated and my dad would always be like, have you prayed about it yet? I hate it. (laughs) But what he was trying to teach me, right, was to practice seeking refuge in Christ. To practice seeking wisdom from Christ before I did anything else. It's a good lesson, one I I rejected as a child, but one I long to embrace now. I would turn to Jesus first. Two, feast and and drink your fill, right? The alternative realities of this life will hold out everything they have to offer. All the boats and all the money and all the success and all the wealth and all the experiences and say they're going to fill you up. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they can't fill you up. Only God can do that through Jesus Christ. And he says, come to me. Feast. Be filled and have your thirst quenched. And so go to him through the disciplines of reading the word and memorizing scripture and, and praying and, and being with the body of Christ. And, and lastly, let's be people who pray like David prayed. That we would pray for the righteous to become more and more in tune with the ways of God. That we would be people who love the Bible. That we would be people who love the ways of God. That we would be people who who love to walk in righteousness. And two, that that the wicked will not prosper. It's okay to pray that. It feels weird, right, to pray against things. Embrace it. David did it. All through the Psalms, the psalmist did it. It's okay, right? Now, don't be inflammatory, right? Now, you might, want to write, might, want to, might not want to write them as your Facebook post, but you can pray against the wicked. It's godly to do that. They will not prosper, but instead those who walk in, in godliness will. There's only one absolute reality, and although our flesh might clamor for an alternative one, our souls were built for the actual one. And so my prayer for us today So we'll embrace that with our very lives. And that our lives will follow in the wake of that reality being true with transformation. God, I can't do justice to any of this. But you can through your power and your people. And so move in us and transform our hearts to be like Jesus. Transform our minds to think like Jesus transform our lives that we would act and and become more and more like Jesus that we would be marked by Christ likeness we won't be perfect we're going to fail I know and may we trust your forgiveness and your grace when we do but may we as your people become progressively more marked by righteousness and walking in your ways 
believing that what you say is true. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.